Connect Red are a Midlands-based telecommunications company with branches in Cannock, Derby and Burton-on-Trent in partnership with Vodafone UK. Our shops are currently closed due to the pandemic, but we are here to help in any way we possibly can. Get in touch with us for any of your tech and communication needs, consumer or business, and we can tailor individual packages and cater for multi-bundle deals too. Visit us at connectred.co.uk. That's C-O-N-N-E-K-T-R-E-D and drop us a message. Welcome to the Talk to Hobbiton podcast. I'm Blake Fellows. Malcolm Christie for you today. Absolute Derby legend from the early noughties. Signed from Nuneaton Borough. From non-league to Premier League. Really had to wait a while to get his chance and then scored two on his debut as we'll hear about. Um, was actually stacking shelves when Derby came in for him. So an interesting story. Went on to play for, for Middlesbrough as well and uh, career cut short by, by injury. So we'll, we'll get to Malcolm in a minute. Um, as ever, thank you to Connect Red, SMJ Brady, and Elite Football Development. I've um, I've just posted about all of them with with links to where you can find their their social media and information about them. So go and have a look, go and like stuff that they've done, just to give them a little bit of support, like they've supported us. Uh, here we go then. Here's our chat with former Derby striker Malcolm Christie. On to talk Derby to me, Malcolm Christie. This is um, it's a good one for me because um, you were my era. So uh, growing up, I've got some fantastic memories that we'll get onto. But first of all, I just want to thank you for for giving us your time and, and coming on. No, absolutely appreciate it. Um, you know, obviously it's been a number of of years since um, you know the the good times with Derby and things like that. So it's always nice when. You know, you get connected with someone who wants to to share some of the the times and the memories. So it's uh, it's my, my pleasure to uh, to come on and uh, and offer the support to your uh, podcast as well. How are you at the minute? First of all, obviously it's hard for everyone at the minute, but how are you coping? How's the family and everything? Yeah, I mean everybody's everybody's fine. We're just pretty much in the same boat as everybody else. Everything's you know kind of put on hold at the moment with with what's going on in the world. So um, I've got some exciting things you know that hopefully going to. Um, materialise into big things, uh, you know, in the horizon. So um, I've got things to look forward to, which is always good. Um, you know, it's nice to reminisce and look back uh, sometimes, but it's also good to have like a little bit of a plan and, and, and you know, things to look forward to as well. So I've um, got a little bit of both going on at the moment. So, um, you know, it's it's good times at the minute. Is that, I've seen on, on social media, I don't know if we can, we can talk about, is that coaching companies and stuff like that? Is that part of what, what you're talking about? Yeah, so... You know, obviously my my story, you know, which we'll probably get onto, you know, left me out of football um, for a number of years. Um, you know, so it just it, it's good in a way that I can sort of, again, get back into it, um, this route. Um, and it's, you know, it's a route that maybe I, I should have took when I retired from football, in all fairness, knowing the direction of my life when, um, you know, when I did retire. Um, but at the end of the day, sometimes, you know, you, you go down different avenues and things. And I, I'm glad that I found this this path, which is is going to take me into to the coaching side of things, um, working with with kids uh, in group sessions, one on ones and things like that. And just try and use the knowledge uh, and everything that, you know, the, the coaches and everything that I've worked with in the past 
um, to tailor certain sessions and, and things, which is all based around the, the attacking player. So, you know, it's pointless of me, you know, the, the years of experience that I've used uh, in football to start coaching at this point in my, uh, my journey, you know, goalkeepers or defenders, because, you know, at the end of the day, you know, what I know, all I've known for, you know, in my football career, which was, you know, the best part of 20 years is, is attacking play. So, you know, why not use that to the best of my ability and try and use that, you know, with the, the generation of kids growing up. Have you got a bit of the buzz back being, being in and around the game or, or the prospect of, of being around the game again? Absolutely. And, and that's for me was, was the big thing because, um, you know, I'm sure as we'll, we'll, we'll talk on, you know, there was, there was times where, you know, I couldn't wait to get out of football in all fairness when, when I retired, which is a, which is a strange thing to say. Um, but that is exactly where I was at that point of my life, uh, that, that football for me was, was, was a long distant memory, even though I was still a footballer at that time. Um, so to just to, to discover it again and rediscover the, the the passion and enthusiasm, and that that goes along with uh, you know you know my my son is uh, with uh, an academy uh, as well, so you know going along and watching uh, him train and play and, and stuff, and then just getting a buzz back for just actually watching football on the telly. You know, obviously there's a lot of you know pretty much every match is on TV now that you can watch. So um, just getting that buzz and feel and, and, and things like that. And it's daft things. I'm, I'm sure a lot of people, you know, they play the fantasy football and things like that and, you know, have your team and, you know, you, you're rooting for players and teams that, that ordinarily you wouldn't do because you've got them in the fantasy team. And I think even the, 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 the Premier League footballers are, are doing that as well. You know, they're, they're, they're counting on themselves. I think when they're clean through on goal, they'd rather have a, have a shot and a, see if they could get a goal than an assist. So, you know, it's just daft things like that. You're just getting back into it and getting the, like you said, the, the buzz there and, 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 you know, it's just a little bit of a start of, a, of, a, of another journey within the football. So where it will take me, I don't know, you know, because at the end of the day, um, nothing's a given in this world. And I'm just determined and, and, and passionate about, um, you know, going down that path and down that route again. You mentioned um, your lad being in, a, in an academy. When we do this, normally we start right at the, at the very beginning. So what are your earliest kind of footballing memories in, in growing up being a kid? Was you a, a massive football fan? Yeah, huge football fan from ever since I can remember. Um, so I was I was born and raised in a, a Stamford in Lincolnshire, which is a small town in Lincolnshire. Um, and my earliest memory really was it was in primary school. Just I remember the ball just getting thrown out, and it was a you know a game where you had to run and sort of kick it. And I just remember just being able to sort of dribble and sort of no one. Um, you know, you end up sort of dribbling past people and you think, well, you know, am, am I a little bit better than everybody else? Or is it just that I'm at sort of a stage ahead? And my brother, who was two or three years older than me, um, he, I actually ended up playing for the school team at his level as well. So I was always kind of at primary school level, ahead of ahead of the curve and ahead of the game. Um, so it's sort of at primary school level that I remember it and just playing sort of games and things like that. But in all fairness, I mean, I, you know, with, with going to secondary school, um, I wasn't, you know, I, I booked the trend really with, with regards to footballers. I wasn't at an academy as a, as a, as a kid. I, I wasn't at all. I, I joined my first um, football team as such when I was 12 years old, a team called Northborough, um, which is close to Peterborough. So there was no, there was no youth teams or, or kids teams in Stamford. So I had to go had to travel sort of, you know, 20 uh, minutes to, to go and find a football team in that respect. So, you know, getting in at a sort of under 13 level is, is, is quite far ahead. I mean, like my son has been at an academy for sort of three years now. So, and he's, uh, you know, he's 11 years old now. So, you know, you see how the, the tide has, has turned and changed. But I just think that where I was and the location I was, I didn't have that opportunity to sort of flourish and, 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 and go up and develop that way. Do you think 
that may give you an advantage or a different edge not going through the academy route. You see the players that come through like non-league and and that they've got kind of a different edge or rawness or fearlessness, you know, because they've got the chance. Does that give you something different, Malcolm? I, I think I think it did in 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 the respect of everything that that sort of happened for me. You know, it sort of it was sort of snowballed in some respects. You know, I did well here. I got that chance there. I did well, and it's all about doing well in a particular game or a particular person comes and watches you, you play well. And it, you know, I said, I didn't afford the opportunity to sort of develop on a daily basis or, or, or twice weekly basis where the Academy kids now can go in and, and, you know, obviously do the training and things like that. I didn't have that opportunity to do that. So when that sort of opportunity came for me to, to develop further and, and obviously get into the professional game. Yeah, of course it was like, it, it, it kind of, it, it came on me very, very, very quickly in the respect of going from a semi-professional footballer at the time at Nuneaton Borough to being a professional footballer. That happened very, very quickly, you know, in a matter of months, really. It wasn't like, you know, at 10, 11, 12 years old that I, that, that I was in that bubble of, oh, yes, I'm going to become a footballer here or the dream was there. It was it was a dream, but it was a, such a distant dream, a distant thing that, you know, I only got to sort of 18, I would say, when I was sort of 18 years old, that, that that dream actually, do you know what? My dad said, you know, to me, because at the time I was like a massive Manchester United fan growing up as a kid, huge, like my bedroom wall, everything would be, we covered in, in Manchester United um, memorabilia, posters, all sorts, you know, but I never watched them. I never, never went to watch a game. I just watched them on the telly and things, but never went to Old Trafford or anything like that. And I said to my dad, I said, I think I fancy going to watch Man U play, which would have obviously meant that I wouldn't be doing my football. He said, no, he said, no, don't, don't do that. You've got something there. Just continue with that. Just continue with your football and see where it will take you. And, and that's what I did. And luckily for me, like I say, playing non-league, um, working, obviously that my story came where I was working at the supermarket as well. And obviously when I came into football, you know, that's where, you know, people sort of, it was a little nice, it was a nice little story because you don't really get that nowadays. Obviously, like people like, like Jamie Vardy now, you know, he people like that. People like that story where you sort of come from nothing in the respect of football and you're able to sort of get, get yourself into a level because, you know, I, I was lucky enough and, I, you know, I thank Derby County at the time for giving me that opportunity because really going from non-league, you'd expect that next step up would be maybe League One or League Two or... or or League One side, you know, in that respect, would would have been the the, the teams that would go and, and sort of make a gamble on you or, or, or sort of bid. But, you know, at the time to have a Premier League team sort of watching you and things like that and, and ultimately sign for, that's massive. That's huge. Like, and, you know, obviously in the respect of, of did I appreciate, of course I appreciated it a lot more, but it also brought its own pressures in the respect of I hadn't been in a professional game. I hadn't done the day-to-day -day training. I hadn't known what it was like to be a footballer and to be a professional footballer and to live the life of a professional footballer and, and everything that goes with it. I didn't get that opportunity to do that. I was sort of learning on the job every day, um, which, which was good because you were learning it, you know, doing the dream job you'd done. But when you look back, you think, did I deal with a lot of the situations a lot of the time, the best of my abilities? Probably not. But, you know, at the end of the day, you sort of deal with it as best you can. I can remember at the time and and since and subsequently, like the narrative at the time was um, like it's from super, from stacking shelves to playing in the Premier League. Was that actually the case? Was you was you working in a supermarket when Derby came in? Uh, yeah, I was. I was absolutely. Um, I might have just I might have just quit it a few weeks 
um, previous because uh, Brendan Phillips, who was my manager at Nuneaton Borough, said, look, look, Mally, uh, he said, look, you know, I think that we're going to be able to make some of yourself here. I think we'll be able to get you into a professional team. There was a lot of scouts, a lot of clubs coming to watch me. Um, very, very nearly the, the club had agreed something with Bristol City at the time. And I thought, geez, Bristol was a, obviously a long way away from home at the time. And, you know, they were in, in the lower leagues as well at the time as well. But I went to train with Tottenham Hotspur. I had a very successful trial spell at Leicester City, which they ultimately didn't decide to sign me. Um, and then the opportunity came to, to go and play a match. It wasn't the other clubs that I went for, I went to train with. So I went in there as a, as a just a footballer, the Monday to Friday, and we'll play like a reserve game. Derby just said, look, come along, bring your boots as such, and we'll play you in a match. So I played one match for Derby. Uh, Jim Smith came along and watched, and that was it. They, they, they signed me off the back of that performance, um, which, was, which was fantastic for me. But yeah, the previous weeks um, before that, I was working in the dairy department of, um, of a supermarket in, in Stamford, you know, as part-time because I was still doing my, um, my college stuff as well at the time. So I sort of knocked everything on the, on the head and just, just went and followed my dream really. And that's ultimately what, what happened. So I was lucky in that respect. Was it, was it a big decision to make to knock stuff on the head and, and go and chase your dream as a professional footballer? Cause it may not have worked out and then you'd have been stuck without your college and without, a pre- but did you still have a decision to make or was you always just going to follow your dream? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Always going to follow my dream. I mean, as you said there from, from sort of six years old, it was, it was football, football, football. It's all that I, I, I wanted to do all that, you know, uh, you know, the dream and, and everything like that. I know, you know, growing up, there was some, there were some dreams that I'd always sort of wanted to achieve throughout my life, you know, and, and, you know, one of them was to play in the Premier League, which I achieved. One of them was to score at Old Trafford. That was always my dream to do that. You know, it was always my dream to do that for Man U, in all fairness. But, you know, obviously I ended up going there and, and doing it for Derby. So, you know, you have your dreams and aspirations as a kid. And, you know, but there was never any, what I never felt really as a kid growing up, I never felt any pressure. I never felt any pressure to become a footballer. And I think that's where the, diff- the difference when we, when we reflect back on why was it different for me? Because I wasn't at an academy. There was no pressure at me, you know, because, you know, everything that I, I sort of got, I earned. And, you know, the performances, um, you know, that, that I put in lead into that. And it just made me do that. And there was no pressure on me. I, I thought, what, what pressure was there? You know, people Pete were coming to watch. I mean, when I was playing for Nuneaton Borough, Arsenal, Man U, Tottenham would come and watch. Well, that's not that's not pressure. That's like, that's I love that, you know, the fact that you could go out there at that sort of level, that, you know, 3,000 people at the time when I was playing for Nuneet and watching me. For me, that was my Wembley, that was my Wembley for me. You know, like to have a crowd watching. I was used to, you know, before that, I was at a team called Deep in Rangers. And, you know, you'd have a, you know, would you have 100 people there? You'd be lucky if you had that, you know. So to go from that to then the next level, but it's sort of everything for me, which was good, everything was like a bit of a step and a bit of a stage. It wasn't, you know, when I signed for Derby, I wasn't thrown into the first team. You know, it wasn't like, they signed me and then I was playing the next week it, because I learned how to be a professional, what it took, you know, the day to day working with some good people, some good coaches. And that, that helped me. And then when I got the opportunity, then I felt I was ready for it. It wasn't like I was ever felt like I was thrown into the deep end anywhere. So that, that, that helped things massively. What were, you, what were your first impressions arriving at Derby then? Because obviously Pride Park was, was fairly new and that was a, an impressive um, 
impressive facility, but we were still at the Ram Arena. Yeah. Uh, remember your, your first memories of, of pulling up at Derby as a, as a youngster? Well, we couldn't, we couldn't find the stadium, to be fair, uh, which is a funny story. Um, my agent at the time, we turned up in Derby. We got near the city centre. And um, I think that was back in the, the days where the sort of sat-navs weren't in the cars. So we, we didn't know where the stadium was. So we, we pulled over next to a, um, a Royal Mail van where the, a postman was. You think, well, brilliant. Right, well, if there's one person right around this area that will find where the stadium is, it was the postman. So we turned up, we, we wind the window down, at Pride Park Stadium, please. Because obviously we're due for talks and that's where we needed to go. And he, he went, he just got, I don't know why, he just got all flustered and, and oh, I don't know where it is. And we were like, looked at each other, said, if the postman doesn't know where it is, well, what chance have we got to find it? So literally we just drove around and, you know, because obviously the stadium was quite high, obviously. And we just drove around until we saw the top of the stand and just <laughs> kept following it. So... You know, that was kind of one of my first impressions of, of Derby, that we couldn't find the stadium. So, um, but then obviously when you find it, it's like, wow, you know. And I didn't, even though I grew up a massive football fan, I didn't go to many live matches. I mean, I was a, Peterborough United was my local team, so we used to go and watch there. But I didn't, I didn't go and watch any sort of top flight or big stadium matches. So to go to like, you know, the, the stadium like that, it's just like, Wow. I mean, just amazing. And you think to yourself, wow, if you could sign for a team and play this, then... And again, with the Ram Arena you've mentioned there uh, at Rainsway at the time, you know, when I look back, yes, the facilities weren't probably to the level which a lot of the clubs at the time were. And certainly if you put it in there now, you know, when you see the the, the academies and the training grounds that the teams nowadays have the, the fortunate task of playing uh, in and developing at have, then yeah, what it wasn't the, the best facilities, but again, for a young kid growing up, that was that was palatial for me. Of course, it was. It was I, what I could go somewhere. I could drive in there. We could, what you got your meals cooked for you. Uh, you had nice pitches to play football on. You had your own changing station, and people washed your boots, and your kit was done for you. Like, like again, like the naivety of me coming in. It was like this was amazing. It was like it was amazing for me. And again, obviously, a lot of the people that I played and trained with. Uh, when I first went into Derby, they were sort of academy lads and people that had played and, and gone into the youth team and reserve. So that, it was just second nature for them. They knew nothing, they knew no, nothing different. Whereas for me, it was just like, you know, turn up, you know, seeing the cars, all the, the flashy cars and, you know, the players that I'd seen on the TV, you know, who I've been watching in previous weeks, you know. Well, you can imagine how that sort of felt for, for a young kid from, from, you know, a small town in Lincolnshire, you know, who was working at the, the supermarket a few weeks ago driving in and being a professional footballer it was like it was amazing like it was it was, it was a crazy was it overwhelming it's, it's hard really to put yourself back and was it mm. overwhelming I don't know I just sort of took it I just sort of took it in my, in my stride really um because like I say I'd been sort of had the stepping stones which were jumping from one level to the next and never to the next but it, it, I didn't feel overwhelmed with it because I knew that if like they'd given me the opportunity that I wouldn't let anybody down because like, I'm a hard worker I'll go out there I'll give it my all you know if someone tells me to do something I'll do it you know whether you know with regards to training so I always knew I, I remember one of the first sessions I did we went to the baseball ground um, and did like we did a lot of shape play at the time where you'd, you'd, you'd go there, you'd set up your team. Um, 
And one of the first sessions I remember going there, and I was playing up front with Paolo one shot, like and one of my first sessions, I was thinking, God, this is, you know, obviously we were watching him. He's, this is the guy that's like did amazing run and scored at Old Trafford past Pete Schmeichel, like my hero. Like, and I was just remember, and I remember just playing up front with him and, and like I ended up doing a flick like round the back of my leg and put him clean through on goal. I remember him coming up to me and like fist pumping me and I was thinking, all right, okay. And I was just thinking, I've shown a little bit there of what I can do. And like, you know, even though, and that is again, a little bit of the naivety of, of me, you know, I was fearless at that time because I would try these things. I would try these flicks and things like that because that's what had got me to where I'd got. It wasn't a case of playing safe or, you know, holding the ball. I just thought, you know, I'll just try this little flick behind me. There. And it, like I put him clean through and like, I thought, yeah, you know, not at that stage did I think that I was on these level with these players because I was still, for me, a massive learning curve and, and things like that. I knew that I had to prove myself in training, you know, in reserve team matches. I'd, I'd play in some youth team stuff as well. So, you know, I'd, I'd always have to sort of, sort of set my bar and my level and things, but I had some great people around me, like Steve Round, obviously, who's uh, with Mikel Arteta at, at Arsenal. He was a massive help for me. He was one of the reasons that I signed for Derby, in all fairness, because he played for Nuneaton Borough in a few years before that and was with Brendan Phillips, uh, who was my manager at the time. So there was a little link in there how I got to, to, to Derby. But he, he helped me on the pitch, learning how to be a striker, but also off it, which was massively important. Because they used to set up, um, we used to set up stuff in, in in the Ram Arena. We would do mock interviews. So he would interview you. So again, everything that, that sort of you know you, you you would learn and things like that was for a purpose. And then when you made your debut and like you score, then the cameras are in front of you. You feel a little bit more relaxed because you've done a little bit of media training and things like that. Not that you know it's not a bit daunting because you know again, but it's the next level. It's the next step because everything that sort of happens to you on your football journey you've just got to enjoy it that's what I tried to do I didn't ever you know think you know toward and that's why my story it goes from from enjoying it to not enjoying it that's where sort of my story in, in, encapsulates but I can certainly say absolutely definite that my time my years everything that I, I did you know and became at Derby I absolutely loved every single minute of it there's not there's not really a time um, yeah, there was some tough times and there were some tough times off the field, probably uh, with the club, you know, going through some financial difficulties, which was hard um, to deal with. But apart from that and and obviously relegation, which we'll, we'll, I'm sure touch on as well. But but apart from that, you know, I, I loved and enjoyed every minute of, of, of being at Derby. I really did. Your debut then uh, at Middlesbrough, uh, obviously given the, the chance in the Premier League and you, well, you certainly took it, didn't you? But what are your memories? Can you still remember getting the news and, and finding out that you were you're starting your first Premier League game? Yeah. Um, again, it's like the previous weeks to that, I was just on the bench and I was sort of coming off and things like that. And you think to yourself, are you ever going to get the, the sort of opportunity to play? Um, and I think Jim probably didn't want to put the pressure on my my shoulders of maybe starting me at home where, you know, you know, Jim knew me quite well. You know, he knew what buttons and you knew knew what to, to press and things like that. Rest his soul, you know, God rest his soul. Um, he knew um, what to do and, and how to get the best out of me. You know, he'd shout at me sometimes and, and things like that. And you know, he'd put his arm around me sometimes. And I remember before the Middlesbrough game, we, you know, he'd come over to me on our pre-match walk, put his arm around me and said, it's, this is your chance. 
And I was like, well, the heart was like, boom, 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 boom. It's like straight away, I was thinking, well, this, this, this is it. This is my, this is my chance. Um, you know, obviously I let my family know and everybody and, and, and things and, you know, and I never, honestly never felt, even though the old, the, you know, everything, all the things, but it just made me think, you know, this is it. This is what for the previous, you know, 15 years or whatever the dream, th this is it. This is, this is one of the, the parts of my dream is to, is to start in a Premier League match and things like that. So it, it wasn't a pressure. I never felt under pressure. Um, you know, it was it was a good game for me as well, I think, because Middlesbrough at the time, they were struggling. Um, you know, the crowd were getting on top of um, Brian Robson, Viv Anderson, who were in charge. So it was a great game for me to come into. Yes, we weren't we weren't playing great at the time either. So it wasn't like, you know, we were going into it with, with, with a great amount of form or anything like that. But, you know, scoring early on in that game just settled everything down, settled my nerves down. And, and you know, we had a, you know, a magnificent performance from, from everybody to a man to the, you know, that day. And, you know, it, obviously looking back, it's what started things for me. Um, and, you know, when you get, I've, I've said there, when you get that opportunity, you've got to take it. And I, I, I feel obviously with that day, I sort of took it with both hands. So it was it was a fantastic day, fantastic performance, fantastic team performance. And it wasn't, you know, I never felt that it was just about me, that performance, because, you know, winning 4-1 away from home, it was, that was a performance for the fans at the time, you know, more than anything. You know, yes, me scoring a couple of goals was great, but it was it was more about the team at that point as well. That's your debut of scoring two, made a brilliant impression, took your chance. And then didn't Jim Smith, weren't you back on the bench for the next game? if I remember rightly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I was, you know, again, I trusted his judgment and things like that, but I'm not going to sit here and say I wasn't disappointed because, you know, you, you play really well. You know, you have a hand, you score two, you have a hand in another one. I think when Dion scored a little bit of a back flip as well, which I was sort of a bit gutted. I didn't end up scoring that myself. Um, you come off the high of that, and obviously, you know, after, even after the game, you know, I was touched on there, the media interviews, you know, our match of the day cameras are outside. They'd want to, you know, they didn't want to chat with you. Oh, OK. Like, you know, it's just it's just crazy. So you, you do that. You come off that. And yeah, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say that I didn't think I'm going to be starting the next match because obviously I, I thought I was. And I, I can imagine that, you know, the 30,000 Derby fans who are in there against Coventry were expecting that as well. But. Jim, for being Jim, thought that, you know, maybe he thought that he'd want to bring me on. And I don't know. I, I don't know. I mean, I never really, I never asked him because I, for one thing with, with Jim, I never questioned his decisions because he was the man that took the chance on me, gave me the opportunity and, and allowed me my Derby career to flourish. So, I, I, you know, maybe that was a naivety, in the, you know, within me at the time, possibly later on in my career, if that happens. You know, something similar. Obviously, I wouldn't be making a debut, but if a similar instance happens where I'd scored a couple of goals and I was left out the next match, you know, bang, bang, I'd be at the, I'd be at the manager's door, obviously, because you know, no one's going to be happy with that. What was and we speak uh, like we, we touched on? Obviously, God rest his soul. We need to just touch on Jim Smith. Um, what was he like as a manager? Because I can imagine as a youngster going into a change room with Jim Smith, he, he could be quite intimidating, maybe. Or what? What was his style like as a as a manager? You can knock that quite. Um, uh, <laughs> he, he was in, he was intimidating. He wasn't quite intimidating. He was intimidating. I mean, if you if you speak to any of the um, any of the guys at, the, at that time um, who, who played, you know, he, you know, Jim, 
he was more old school. You know, everyone knew that. Um, you wouldn't see him on the training pitch every day. Um, but when he was on the training pitch, you'd know he was there um, because, the, you know, some players would, would fold because they were, they were scared that, you know, if they give the ball away, that the finger point or the, shot or the, the criticism would come their way. For me, I love that. I, I love the fact that there was someone there that kept you on your toes that, yes, if you did put an, an odd pass here or there, but he would tell you, but, but I knew for a fact that I wouldn't do it the next pass because, because I wouldn't want to let him down. And that's, for me, I, I always played like that, you know. For, I always sort of played for Jim because, he, you know, he, he afforded me the opportunity where a lot of clubs looked at me and didn't give me that opportunity. He did. Um, but I've seen, I've seen some unbelievably terrible trainers at Derby County. I mean, what I mean by that is you'd see them on a match day and you'd think, this isn't the man that I'm seeing Monday to Friday because they're not very good during the week, but they would put the performances in at the weekend. And I think that's probably a little bit down to Jim. Um, but he certainly, when the match, when we were ready for match time, everybody was ready, focused, locked on. Um, and you didn't want to go into that dressing room at half time or full time without giving it your absolute all because he would let you know. Hi, I'm Tim Lovejoy and this is my award-winning podcast, The Lovejoy Hour, sponsored by Cooker. This week, I'm talking to one of the most famous adult entertainers in the world, porn star Kieran Lee. Oh, it's the first time you did it, you were in a car park. Car park in Derby, Mark Eaton Park. On Wednesday, Stephen Street, producer of The Smiths and Blur, tells me what it's like to be a music producer. And on Friday, the A to the Dan of football reaches the letter M, and we've got a very special guest. Three podcasts in five days to keep you busy during lockdown. The Lovejoy Hour, available in all the usual podcast places and some unusual ones too. There you go, Blake, I nailed that. Well, he gave you your opportunity and you, um, well, you certainly repaid him, uh, at least in part with, um, well, there's a couple of recurring themes during this. One of them is Middlesbrough that keeps popping up. And the other one is Man United, obviously, a Man United fan growing up. And then um, you score in the 1-0 win to keep Derby in the Premier League at, Old Trafford, which is one of my favourite memories as a as a kid. Can you remember the? Well, I'm sure you can remember. But can you talk us through the the day? Yeah, and like you say, that it's it's probably, you know, at the time, it, it you know, the enormity of it, you don't realise because you know, again, it's just it's another match in the respect. But I suppose for us at the time, in that point in the season, it, it, of course, it was a massive, it was a massive game. We'd we'd you know gone on. Um, we weren't on the best run, obviously. We needed the points. Um, I suppose we looked at it and said, you know, I, I know that I felt that I wanted to see what, that, what team Man United were going to put out. That, for me, was huge because they, they were picking the, the trophy up after the game. So I wanted to see what team they put out to see if they were going to put the big guns out. Because if they had, obviously it would have been, diff- it would have been different and difficult because... Looking at the team that they put out, and again, no disrespect to the guys that that, that played, but it was it was a weakened team. We we all, we all know that. Um, and I looked at it and I thought, yeah, I, fan- I fancy this. And all the other they looked, they looked, and we looked around, and once that team went up, there was like a little bit of a rumbling, and and because you just knew that everybody could scent, could sort of smell it, could smell that we could get some out of it. Um, and we started the game well on the front foot, um, and. Yeah, I mean, you know, for me, as I've said, growing up, 
Um, I had sort of come, I had played there um, previous, so I think I'd come on a substitute before. So it wasn't like the first time I'd ever been there and ever played. That would have been an even better story, obviously. But I always remember the one of my first memories of Old Trafford was how sort of cambered the, the pitch was. When you sort of sat at, within the dugout, you couldn't sort of see the feet of the, the player on the other side. I always remember that was one of my first memories of, oh, that's weird, because you don't get that perspective when you're watching it from from TV and just how sort of vast the plain area felt, even though it was probably the same size as every other pitch we played on. Um, but obviously going back to the, to sort of that match, um, you know, I've, I've touched on there and on how sort of from time to time in my career, I've sort of felt like I've needed to take the ball by the horns and sort of, you know, maybe doing a little bit extra. And, and that goal was, was a goal that I'd probably scored a few times in youth team football, in non-league football. And I think when I look back at my career, in some respects, a lot of the stuff that got me to where I got to probably did get kicked out of me a little bit because, because you know, I'd, you know, I'd want to do the right thing for the team. I'd want to lay the ball off. I wouldn't want to give it away. And I think within that moment, when I got the ball back to goal, I think, do you know what? I'm just going to try some air. I'm just going to, you know, try some air, twist, turn, you know, which I ended up doing. And obviously the end result was, was it going in the top corner? So, you know, if you see highlights of my, my goals over the years that, you know, that will probably be the only left foot shot that goes into the top corner. I think I can't, I can't think of any more. I can't think of any right foots that went in the top corner. Either. But um, yeah, there wasn't, you know, when you encapsulate, you know, Malcolm Christie goals, it's probably, you know, across getting on the end of it, a little through ball, you know, taking it around the goalie or slipping, you know, them sort of goals, which, which every striker needs is the bread and butter. As you're aware, I didn't score many, you know, goals, which, which sort of flew in from my left foot in the top corner. So you know, that, that was, it was a rarity in itself. And, and, you know, you know, that, that, that was something that, you know, when you talk about the easy chances and the, the things you, you'll probably want to mention the one that I missed later on in the match, but um, <laughs> which, which, which obviously is, is when we talk about the, the great side of football, we also can talk about the not so great side of football as well. So, uh, but however, Obviously, the, the result was the main thing, and um, that's what uh, what we got, which was which was a win. And and you know, as you know, as, as you'll allude to there, you know, for the, for the fans and for the club, it was massive. It was it was a huge result. Um, you know, one that kept us in the league uh, at the time. And you know, again, I didn't really know the enormity of it. It's only I can look back, you know, because it's it's the thing that Derby fans probably, as you've said, there remember me best for. Um, and it's my best memory as well, of course, in my football career. I've got the picture downstairs of me celebrating um, the goal, which, you know, I can look at from time to time because it does bring back the best memory that, that I can always remember. Well, you've touched on it. It could have been slightly different, the result-wise, um, if Man you would have got back into the game after your, your chance. Um, I think I've seen you, or I don't know if I've made this up, I think I've heard you speak about it before and you said you were trying to be maybe too clever at trying to put it right in the corner rather than just hit the target. Is that the case? Yeah, but well, I'd scored in my head. I'd scored before I kicked the ball. That, that was the top bottom of it because when Lee went, when Lee Morris went through, I was there and I knew he was going to pass to me because, because of the angle that he's running at. So I was just, again, instinctively as a footballer, 
knowing where he was and knowing where I was, I was thinking, I'm going to score it, I'm going to score it, I'm going to score it. And you're just thinking, bottom corner, bottom corner, bottom corner. Ball came across and it wasn't the bottom corner. It was just past the bottom corner. So, like, because I was thinking about where I was going to put it, um, that that meant I was too precise rather than just getting in there and just putting it. Because I think if I hit it on target, there was a chance that the goalie might have blocked it or whatever. But I was that close to the goal. I, I, if I'd hit it on target, I, I would have I would have had to score. But because and again, you learn footballers talk about that because that because it was a little bit of thinking time, a little bit of like standing in there and like knowing what I was going to do, even though it was it was like that. But you still can process that sort of thought in your mind that. Bottom corner, bottom corner, bottom corner. Like I said, didn't become bottom corner. So um, when that happens and you miss and you think, oh, uh, right, okay. That's not, get, you know, it's still 1-0. And, you know, we still can we still can win the game. But obviously the enormity of that chance, um, you know, United had some really close calls towards the end of the match. Um, obviously, Pumi made some great saves and blocks and things, but... You know, it was just, I think, you know, it was just meant to be, to be honest. And, you know, yeah, I would I would obviously wish that, you know, people don't remind me of, of, of that. But I always say to people that just look at the result and look, you know, what happened and look who scored. And that's all I want people to remember rather than that miss. Apologies. <laughs> <laughs> we'll go on there. Another Man United memory that a lot of people have asked me to mention was obviously your, well, I'm still classing it as a hat-trick. We're like 19 years on, but... um when we played the 2 all draw, but it should have been a 3-2 win. Um, my biggest memory from that on a personal level was the celebration, because I can remember people doing that on the playground and stuff afterwards, because it was like, you know, the, like the thinking, and then, is that two? And, and all that. So another another great day, but um, and, and against Man United again. It, it was, yeah. And again, you know, as you're aware, I always used to look out for, for the Man United fixtures, um, and, and, and stuff so to play them again at, at that sort of different stage of, of, of the season you know we had everything to play for obviously because we were fighting to stay in the league as we were previously but they had you know it wasn't they weren't playing their reserve team in that in that game you know they had the the, the big hitters out and everything like that so we were always going to be up against it in that match mm-hmm. um, and again it was a case where we sort of dug in we got ourselves in front, obviously in the lead, which which helps, you know, because if you go behind against Man U, you're like you, you're almost thinking at that stage that that the game's over, really, especially the sort of the level that they were playing at at the time, um, with you know Champions League football and playing, you know, the elite players that they had. So to go in front against United was was obviously a, a massive thing. So it gave us a little bit of something to to, to hold on to and to fight. Um, which we managed to do. But obviously, yeah, going 2-1 behind, you think that, you know, is this going to be our day? Um, and I remember thinking, you know, coming up to the second goal, I was suffering a little bit from from cramp a little bit. Um, and I think as, as it, uh, Zavadnio went down the, the left-hand side and I remember I was coming from the, the far right sort of touchline, but cutting in. And a lot of my, my goals are about movement in the box um, you know, trying to get in front of central uh, defenders, and again, you know, things that have you know have helped me in my career. This is this is the sort of things that I'll help in my my coaching side of things. Is is the, you know the knowledge and the things that I was taught. I was always taught, you know, make sure you're on the move at the bo- in the box. Don't stand, don't be static, because if you're static, the ball flashes in front of you, 
you know, the highlights will go, well, you know, you've got to make a move, whether you're moving out, in. And I always used to like to make that run, that near post run in front of, you know, the, the defender, because you've got a chance if the ball's a little bit short or, you know, you've got a chance of getting it either way. So I just remember making that sort of darting run and the ball was perfect. I mean, I didn't have to break stride. I mean, I just, I just sort of let, almost let the, the ball hit me foot. And it was it was sort of past the keeper before he's had the opportunity to move and and yeah, what people mentioned about this, the celebrations. I didn't, you know, you should be aware there wasn't like a, a, a standard celebration I did after every goal. That's I, I didn't I didn't have one. And and at, at the time, I just think that um, it was such a massive buzz when you score a goal anyway. But you've like you've scored the equaliser against Man U. The crowd are going crazy, and I just remember just saying to myself in my head, just, just don't go crazy or don't go wild. So I just stopped, like, and just, I don't know, just ended up putting my fingers up and saying, is that too? And I don't know why I did it. It wasn't pre, it definitely wasn't pre-planned. It wasn't like, oh, when I, if, if, if I do this, I'm going to do that. It wasn't. It was just instinctively what I did. And, and like you say, people, people remember, remember that um, for doing that. And, you know, I don't know what would have, what would have come out the, um, the locker if that third one, had have stood because you know if you watch the footage I turn around straight away because you know I know I've gone in there with with Bartes pretty much you know like for like so you know the ball pops out and you know had that have you know been allowed then you know there was no time really for United to come back from that because it was almost like the full-time whistle had gone after that so I probably would have allowed myself to go a little bit more crazier with the celebration. You'd still be running right now wouldn't you? <laughs> probably yeah. <laughs> Because, you know, again, I was like, you know, into into sort of knowing, you know, the Man United Premier League years. I, I, I might be wrong, but I, th- I think I would have been the first player um, in, in the Premier League to, to score a hat-trick against Man U. So that would have been like, that would have been amazing, you know, to, to be able to do that, you know, you know, for, for the memories. That would that have, a, you know, it would only have meant something, in all fairness, this, this 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 means something to me. This it would have only meant something really if we'd have got the three points and we'd have managed to stay up. You know, because yes, it's all well and good looking back, but but we, we didn't. We drew and we went to Arsenal straight after and lost. Um, and then we went on a we went on a bit of a, a bad, bad run all the way to the end of the season. So you know, had you know, had that goal have stood, had I got a hat trick. Could it have then led on to a little bit of a different performances and stayed up? I mean, we ended up going down by what 10, 10 points or, or or so. So it wasn't just that performance. Obviously, you go over a whole season, but had we have got the three points and been able to push on, you, you never know. We might have we might have been able to survive, but you know. Relegation at the end of that season, then, and going to Division One at the at the time, was it? Did you have to make a decision whether you wanted to to stay on and try and get Derby back in the Premier League, or or move on and and try and stay in the Premier League? Was that a decision you had to face at the time? Um, if I'm honest, uh, yes, but it, you know, people moving and transfers are you know not really the footballer's choice to do unless you're out of contract. It wasn't. You know, it was never my my choice. It was never my first. You know, you know, getting relegated. Yes, it's every every footballer wants to play in the Premier League, and I, I certainly was no different. But um, you know, having been relegated, I, you know, I never went. I never asked for a transfer. 
Um, I never asked my agent at the time for a transfer. It was never, it was never discussed um, in, in that respect. There was talk, there was murmurings, there was, um, you know, Middlesbrough at the time when I got relegated, you know, I, Steve Round, who had left Derby at the time, was at Middlesbrough. So um, I had had discussions. It wasn't as if I'd rang Steve and said, please, can you get me out of here? I hate it here. And can you sign me for Middlesbrough? Steve, Steve got in touch with me and just said, you know, is that something that you might fancy doing? And, you know, I said, well, you know, I'd need to have a, have a discussion. And it's again, it's out my hands. If I've got a contract at Derby. So if they want to, if you want, guys want to sign me, you're going to have to, you're going to have to put up the money and sign me. And um, that didn't happen and that didn't materialise. So, you know, going through the, 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 the next sort of six months or so in the, in the championship um, with Derby was, you know, I always remember the first game we played, it was Reading at home. And I just remember thinking, gee, we're going to smash this league. I remember thinking the crowd, everybody was like, even though we got relegated and, you know, the Derby fans, even to this day, you know, obviously I, I follow Derby, you know, results and, 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 and things like that. The, the fans are amazing. The fan, you guys and everybody, they're amazing supporters. And, you know, to, to sort of follow us and to have the crowds in that we used to have. Um, and I remember playing that match. We won, was it 3-0 or 3-1 or 3-0? We, we won. And, and I just remember the confidence and everything. But the, the thing is, straight away, it just like, as soon as a results or one or two results, that was it. It was like, okay, this ain't going to be easy. This is not going to be as easy. And I think just everybody, I think it just drained out of everybody. Just the, the I, I don't know, just like, because we thought, I don't know, that's just my thing, but maybe because we thought it was going to be easy and it wasn't, like, I don't know whether we had the right bodies in and in, in around the dressing room at the time, which was the roll-up sleeve type to, to sort of get us out of the, 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 the trouble that we were in. So, you know, obviously we, we tried and put performances in and myself, you know, we're all... We're all, try, we're all trying to get the results that, that we could. And um, obviously it led through to, to myself and, uh, and Chris at the time leaving uh, the club on um, the transfer deadline day in uh, January 03, um, which was, you know, I, I suppose at the time you, you asked me, was, was I ready to leave? I think because of the way they were, the position that we were in the league, my aspirations, I was, you know, Obviously, I just left, you know, playing England under 21s and things like that. That, you know, I was ready to sort of, again, when we talk about that next step, I was ready again to sort of maybe have that fresh change and things like that. Although I never asked to leave the club or anything like that. It, it kind of happened, but it wasn't as if I was like, no, I don't want to leave Derby um, because I had the opportunity of rejoining a Premier League club. And, you know, with Steve McLaren being there, who I knew from Derby, Steve Round, the opportunity to play with top-class international players at, a, at the time settled Premier League club was, I wasn't going to turn that down because where, where would my season or where would my career have gone had I stayed at Derby? I don't know. But looking back, I probably wish I had stayed at Derby at the time with what happened at Middlesbrough, but, you know, that's a, that's a different story. Well, I was going, I was going to, to ask you that, actually, because... Um, it didn't quite work out how you may have wanted it because of injuries and, and stuff at, at Middlesbrough. Do you ever look back and think without certain things happening, where what level could I have got to? Or is that a dangerous thing to do as a, as a footballer? What if and, and stuff like that? Um, very, very good question. I mean, you know, I, I had the opportunity when I look back of going to Middlesbrough 
and being the guy who they craved to have, which was a guy who could score 20 to 25 goals. And, you know, I wanted, I so desperately wanted to be that, that player. Um, you know, I remember when I, I signed for Middlesbrough, you know, it felt, it felt different. It felt bigger. The training ground was amazing. Like it was amazing. You know, going from the Ram Arena to Rockcliffe was, it was just a different level, but they had different level of players. Well, like Janinho was there, like the little Brazilian. He was, he was amazing. And like the crowd and the fans, like when we used to do training sessions afterwards, the crowds would be there. And like when I was at Derby, I was like probably one of the bigger name players when I was at Derby. So if we ever did anything or went anywhere, um, you know, you'd probably know that you were one of the bigger players for the club. Whereas when I went to Middlesbrough, I was like right at the bottom of the pecking order, which I, I quite liked in that respect because it meant that I had to sort of go and prove myself again. So like after training, everyone would be shouting for Genie and I'd just go walking straight up into get changed. Oh, this is a bit, this is, this is all right. This is a bit different. So, but it meant that I had to sort of prove myself. Um, and I was up for the challenge of doing that. Um, but I wanted to make that next step. I mean, the next step for me was being a regular in the Premier League was to be scoring 20 goals a season and to breaking into the England team. That was what I wanted my next stage of my career to be. Um, and I started off really well, at, <clears throat> excuse me, really well at Middlesbrough. I mean, when I sort of signed there, um, I scored on my uh, full debut against Sunderland. And I just felt like the crowd was sort of behind me as well. Um, you know, young English lad coming in, you know, they, they wanted me to do well. I felt that. Um, and it was just, it was just a, a sort of a, a, the way that my career ended and, and sort of the downward spiral of, of, of that career. You know, I sort of, I tore my groin towards the end of that season, even though I played the last few games of the season when I joined Middlesbrough, I had a terrible groin injury, which no one knew about, but I sort of played on and played through. And it was one of them ones where, all right, we'll get to the summer and we'll, we'll get it operated on. Remember the operator, the, the sort of guy operated on it. He said it, my groin had like clean, um, torn off my, my hip bone so like how on earth I ended up training and playing the last few, few weeks of my, my that season at Middlesbrough uh, they'll sort of never know so uh, you know I had I had that groin operation I had my tonsils out at the same time because I had recurring you know sort, sort of sore throats so when I got back for the preceding season uh, for, for, for the following season I wasn't 100% so I was always sort of fighting against my fitness to try and get myself back um, and then sort of by the time I got back in the team, I, I, I broke my leg, you know, in a, you know, in a training ground, you know, I don't know whether Chris, uh, Chris has ever mentioned, you know, obviously I, I joined with Chris and it was a, a, a session with me and Chris, all the defenders and attackers did. And, and, you know, of all the people that I would go into a tackle with and break my leg, you know, it, it happened to be Chris. I mean, obviously Chris was me, my good pal at, at the club as well. And, Obviously, the devastation that that I felt at the time. Obviously, he 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 felt it equally as well because you know to to, to sort of have an injury like that happen in training is is gutting for for everybody connected and you know especially you know for myself who really, in all fairness, I never really recovered from that. You know, never never ever was the same player um, after I broke my leg. We had George Thorne on recently. At twenty eight, has has not got a club at the minute, and he's had quite loads of injuries. And we spoke a lot about the mental side of things because it's not just physically trying to recover from these. Did you did you find it tough to recover mentally from having so many setbacks and and your career kind of plateauing because of it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the thing the thing with my career, 
the first injury didn't do me in. It, it, it didn't, you know, in some respects, I'd never been injured. So again, when you, when you think of the different things that happen throughout your life as a footballer, the injured Malcolm Christie never really, never really came along. And then when he came along, it was like, all right, okay, this is, this is just part of my journey. The, the problem that I had, it was when it was injury number six or seven or operation number eight or nine, that, that every single time that I came back, that, you know, Steve always sort of had me around the, t- the, the team and, and, and he'd play me when I got fit again. But I, I never felt like it was sort of, it was everything sort of was just, it was like just peeling, you know, an onion back. You know, it was just, I wasn't the same. I wasn't the same physically. My right leg just was never the same. The, mus- the muscle density in my leg was never right. Um, because they, for whatever reason, I, Again, I think when I think of it, yes, obviously it was myself who went into the tackle when I broke my leg. But when I think back, you know, I wasn't, you know, the, the medical side of things wasn't done correctly with me. When I look back, I had a full leg plaster on for like six weeks. You know, when people break legs nowadays or even back in there, they get operated on because, you know, you want to get, get back as soon as possible. You can imagine the frustration with me when I'm seeing... You know, even now to these days, like Andre Gomez, like horrible, horrible injury for Everton. Like, and, and he comes back within like a few months. Like I broke my leg, just a like, nice, clean, simple break, which is a little bit displaced. And uh, like, I never, I was never the same player again and was out from the original injury for two years. So, you know, just again, you know, I don't want to, ha- you know, f- for me, it was, it was a massive part of my career, the end of it, because, you know, the, the you know the seventh injury the eighth injury the ninth injury that you get of course it affects you i mean you know you go and watch the matches but you didn't want to be there what why like it's like it's like you doing a podcast tomorrow not being able to do it somebody else doing it and you sitting there watching them through the window and everybody behind you is telling you oh well you know you could do that or you could do this you could but you have to do that every week or every day like it's just it takes its toll mentally going into training not being out there, but people coming up to speak to you because what's what's everybody want to speak to you about? Yeah, oh, injury. What, what's what you know? What's every player? What's every manager? What's every coach? What's every fan? What you know? And like I say at the start, it's a bit of a novelty. Oh yeah, I'm, uh, yeah, you know this, 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 and this. But you know, years later, it's like it ain't a novelty anymore. It's like you don't want to be. You know, the last place you want to be as an injured player, or in my headspace, I'm not saying this is for everybody. It's just where I felt was going to the match but you do because you want to support the team and you want to be there to support the guys and you know obviously as well with Middlesbrough it was their most successful time as a club as well where I was injured pretty much for the whole part of it which was the um, Carling Cup win and the UEFA Cup run which so you know it was being part of it when they were being successful as well which yeah I was happy for them because I was part of the squad but you know, that has a mental that has a mental toll on you as well. So uh, it was it was hard for, for pretty much the the whole time that I was at Middlesbrough. Um, so, like I've alluded to right at the start, is when when I got out of it, or when I, I got the opportunity to 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 sort of get out of football, I was like relieved. Honestly, I was I was relieved to get out of football at the time. I was going to ask that because we're just coming to the end now, but to go full circle uh, about you, we started about you saying coming back into the game, when you like you go to Leeds and it doesn't, like, with your injuries and stuff, it's not working out as a footballer and you've got to retire. 
is that why you go and do that just to get out of the game and go and do something different? Yeah, but the thing is, the thing is, for the for the ten years that I've done it, I've no, I've known I haven't known any different. I've I've yes, I've worked at the supermarket. Yes, I've been to college, but for the ten years previous, like that's all I've known. So for 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 the respect of getting out of it, it's like what what do you do when you when you when you come out of football? Like wh- wh- because this is a big thing for me. Like when you're a footballer, you're in a bubble, right? You become Malcolm Christie, the footballer. People only know you for a footballer. People only want to speak to you for a footballer. You lose the identity of Malcolm Christie, the, the actual person. Who, who, who am I? What are my values? What, what do I like, dislike? Like, like you, you lose actually who you are as a person. And that, that's a sad thing to, to say in that respect. So you have to, you have to refine, you have to find yourself when you come out of that. And, and I've, I ended up finding myself after, it took me a few years in all fairness. And that's why when people talk about coming out of the game, how hard it is, you know, it took me a long time to come out of football and actually find out who, who, who am I? Like, like I, I'm not a footballer anymore. I, I don't live the footballer lifestyle. I, you know, you don't earn the money that a footballer earns. You don't drive the cars you used to drive. You don't go and spend two hours a day in training and, and come home and just play a few hours and a match at a weekend. That, that isn't me anymore. And you have to mentally decom sort of part mentalize that, that away from yourself and find yourself again and enjoy your own company, other people's company, and try and find something that you enjoy in your life moving forward. And that's, I didn't find that originally. When I left football, I went in the motor industry. Um, for whatever reason, I decided that that was going to be my avenue. I didn't want football. I wanted to be different. And and I'm glad now that even though it's took me 10 years that I found the love for what originally brought me to Derby and to being a professional footballer was the love of football. And that's something that, that, that I never thought I'd lose. I did. And I'm so glad and grateful and, and appreciate that I've got that back. Any regrets looking back at your career? Um, I would say... My career regrets are not wearing shin pads during training. If I had my shin pad on, my leg doesn't break and I, I potentially go on to, to good and great things. I'm part of, you know, a successful Middlesbrough team that, that wins things that, that I'm part of. Um, other than that, really, you know, yes, obviously when I look back, I'd have liked to have played more games and scored more goals. Wouldn't everybody, but, no, I don't, I don't think so. I mean, like I say, just I wish I just hadn't have got injured at Middlesbrough at the time because, you know, I was, I was at a good age. I was at the right club at the right time for me, but it just, didn't, it just didn't happen for me. But I'm glad and I appreciate the fact that I lived out my dream, which I did. I lived out it for a number of years and, and that I can still look back at fond memories and people, you know, like yourself can connect with me and, and we can reflect on, you know, a good time with Derby County because it was a great time at the club, you know, being in the Premier League at the time. I just wish, you know, and pray that they can get back there and where they deserve and where they belong. Malcolm, it's been absolutely brilliant. I've kept you longer than I said I would, so I'm going to let you go. But at the end, we always do a thing called Pass the Mic. Lee Carsley started this, where uh, so to help us get people on, if there's anyone that you can think of that you played with Derby, that'd be good to come on. You can maybe connect us with. Is there anyone you can think of? You've done. You obviously done Chris, haven't you? I've done Chris, yeah. Um, ooh. Have you? 
And you've you've done. I'm just thinking of other people. Have you done Warren Barton? Done Warren Barton, yeah. Um, like, I've not I've not heard that one, but he would be good because he was heavily involved when we were. There was that difficulty through the financial side of things as well. He spoke quite openly about that. Have you spoke to Georgie Kincladze? No, I haven't. I think he's I think he's on social media now. So I mean, I love playing with Georgie. You know, he set up a lot of my goals and things like that. Um, he he would be he would be good to get on. Um, yeah, uh, kind of thing. Stefano Aranio, have you had him? No, I've not had Aranio either. No. Oh, he he would be amazing, and he's such a class guy. You know, I, I've seen him after we were both retired and things like that, and just just what a gentleman. You know, he, he would be fantastic to get on as well. So, I'll, you know, I'll, there's, I'll, there's some good there's some good people, some good players played with at the club that uh, obviously you could connect with and and uh, and, and get some good um, you know memories from. Brilliant. That's exactly an hour, Malcolm. So thank you for your thank you for your time. It's been absolutely brilliant, and I, I appreciate it. No problem at all, Blake. All the best with the podcast. Cheers. Thank you very much. Take care. Thank you.